you would think after 20 years she would, she would know me well enough. Uh, one of the greatest ways the Spirit works on me to, to entertain me in my, my inner idiosyncrasies, I guess, is holy laughter. I had one verse pop into my mind this week, but I threw it out because I was waiting on God to give me something about the Pentecost situation. Mm -hmm. So, uh, last night I sat down and put some thoughts together. And uh, as Matt began song number two, I laughed. I laughed at the entire song. Because one of the things y'all might not know is I don't get with Barry and Matt to pick out the songs. They don't know what my sermon's going to be. I don't know what their songs are going to be. Because sometimes that's how God communicates to me that I, I needed to shut up or keep talking. Because sometimes it aligns. And this morning, it did. Um, my favorite Christmas song ever may be a surprise to, to people. It isn't in the hymnal. I don't think it ever has been. And I don't know in the beginning what drew me to it. But now I understand it more fully. It's the little drummer boy. This week I was reminded of, of that song. Uh, or I told you about my week. It's been a long week. I uh, spent a few hours at the hospital this week. And then we left uh, Thursday morning to go to San Antonio. You don't, you don't write very good sermons sitting in, a, in an RV park in a tent or in a, in a basketball stadium. I was asked if I got nervous, but you know, hey, I, I, I knew all along we were going to be okay. Shiloh was nervous. <laughs> but, 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 but Asher and Maka take after me. They were so certain we were going to win, they slept through the whole game. <laughs> they just knew they were okay. It was a long week. And finally, I began to think clearly last night. And I thought, but quickly God began to impress upon my heart that maybe you're struggling with the same thing. Maybe you've got nothing. What do I do when I have nothing to give? This morning we are in the book of Luke. Uh, Jesus has just, prior to our text, warned about the scribes. The scribes who have been questioning him, who have been testing him, who have been trying to get him to, to trip up somehow. And he's warned and he's told them to beware of them because they don't want to go around in their long robes. And they want to go and do all of these things. And they love greeting people in the marketplaces. They love to be seen. And he's sitting here near the place of offering teaching. This would have been the court of women. Uh, the court of women was as far as women could go into the temple. This is the place where infants would be dedicated. Uh, where circumcisions would take place. It would make sense that this is the place that Jesus would teach because it's accessible to all. Everybody can be there. It's where the offerings would be given. It's where the money changers were in order to, to make, make people have the things that they needed for the offerings. There were 13 offering chests that they called shofars because they were shaped like a shofar, a trumpet, uh, with a brass opening. Each chest had a different purpose in the offering. And some theologians here make their connection to Matthew 6-2 that whenever you give to the poor, don't sound a trumpet before you because that's kind of what they were doing. Because you got to remember, they didn't have dollar bills back then. It was all coins. So when you put it in there, it was put in there. 
Can you imagine the noise of that scene? Money changers are doing business. Animals crying out on their way to sacrifice. Babies crying as they're dedicated or awaiting dedication. People dropping their offerings into 13 different trumpets. That is the scene. That is the noise. That's the stuff that's taking place as Jesus has this encounter. There in Luke chapter 21, starting in verse 1, he says, he says, He looked up and saw the rich dropping their offering in the temple treasury. He also saw a poor widow dropping in two tiny coins. I tell you the truth, he said, this poor widow has put in more than all of them. For all these people have put in gifts out of their surplus, but she out of her poverty has put in all she had little. Let's pray. Father God, we come to you right now. We thank you and we praise you for your blessings. Father, we ask right now that you would take this time and use it for your glory. Father, use me as the vessel of the words that I speak to yours and yours alone. Father, thank you for loving us. And we ask all these things in Jesus' name. And all God's people said. Now, although this text is about money, it applies really to all of our offerings, anything we can bring to God, anything that we do. And as I read this text, I see this woman, and the first thing I think is you can't be afraid to give what you can. It's very easy to be intimidated by circumstance. Can you imagine this, this, this woman? She's there. She's a widow. She doesn't have much. There are lots of people in the court of women, and there are people over there. Obviously, it says he looked up and saw the rich dropping their offerings in. There's a crowd. People are probably watching because the noise is going on. Ding, ding, sounds like a slot machine, honestly. Ding, 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 ding. You know, you hear all the coins dropping in. All of this stuff's happening. And she knows that she probably really isn't giving what the teachers would prescribe. Yet she makes her way over there. And she gets there. And she drops in her two cents. You know, we fall into that same trap sometimes. What I have to offer isn't enough. My money won't go very far. My knowledge of that isn't enough. My preparation isn't where it's supposed to be. I don't have the talent to do that. I don't know how often we use our poverty of situation to keep us from doing the things that God would have us to do. Because we have something there. We have something we could do. We can't let circumstance keep us from giving what we can we have to be courageous enough to give what God has allowed us to give. But we cannot afford to compare our gift to that of others. Two points to all the noise that's going on. The rich are dropping in lots. They're dropping in so much, the noise is probably deafening. What would this widow have done if she started to compare her gifts? I'm not a city person. We uh, that was confirmed this weekend. I'm not good in crowds half the time. These crowds that I don't I don't know. They seem to be good with me. We had a woman on the riverboat sit in front of me and asked me if it was okay to get uncomfortably close. But okay, um, but I'm not that way. This, this lady 
has to cross the court to get to the treasury. She could have said it's just two cents. It's just two miles. It doesn't matter much. Yes, she kept going. She gave what she had. No, it doesn't matter how much the person next to you puts in the plate. It doesn't matter if they can sing or they can play an instrument and you can't. It doesn't matter if they have more education than you. None of those things matter. One of the biggest pleasures I ever had was listening to a music minister at a church who could not carry a tune in a bucket. He was an awful singer. But he got up there with such joy and such excitement to sing praises to God. He didn't let his lack of ability stop him because he knew he could give this to Jesus. We can't, when we compare our gifts, we take away from the value of our gift. And it works both ways. We aren't better because we give more and we're not better because we give less. Only God can judge the value of what our gift is because he's judging our motive. He's judging our heart. Remember back over there in Genesis chapter 4, you had those two brothers, Cain and Abel? It's a great story. But the greatest thing to me about the story is Cain gave his offering first. We don't think about that often. But Cain was the first one to give an offering. It wasn't like he was being bad. It wasn't like he was begrudgingly giving something. He took an offering to God and he was the first one to do it. But Abel came and the text modifies itself and says, and he brought some of the very best of his flock. I understand why Cain got mad. If you don't, maybe you're not very human because I understand that. Cain's probably going, I gave first, God. Why is his better? But God judges the heart. He judges the motive. He judges where it comes from. I can't look at what somebody else gives, whether it's money, whether it's time, whether it's energy, whatever it is, and say, well, mine's not as good as theirs or theirs isn't as good as mine because I don't know. Monetarily, there's a huge discrepancy in how giving works. When Jesus looks... He comments because she gives everything. Somebody else may have given 30% as an offering, but it didn't affect them the same way. Now, I sat down and did the math here a couple years ago on the Walton children. You know, the Waltons, right? They <laughs> own Walmart. It said that they got, and one child got $1 billion in dividends a year. A year. Dividends. What she made on the stocks that she had in Walmart. Not anything else, just on the dividends was $1 billion a year. If she gave 10%, that's $100 million. Let's say a Walmart employee makes $15 an hour, 40 hours a week. They make $31,000 a year. 10% is $3,000. But who hurts more by giving that? Who hurts more by giving their 10%? Monetarily, we can look at it and go, oh. but God is the one who judges our intent. We cannot afford to compare our gifts to others because 10% to one might not be much, but 10% to somebody else may be one of the greatest sacrifices they've ever given. And I've said it before, and, and people get uncomfortable when I say it, but in my experience, the poor give more generously than the rich. There are always exceptions. There are always those 
rich billionaire philanthropists who give money, millions of dollars away or billions of dollars away. But man, in my experience, it's the lady who has two pennies who's willing to give it all. We cannot afford to compare our gift to that of others. But also, God gave you something to give, and it's your responsibility to give it. <laughs> I can't give your gift to God. Barry can't give your gift to God. Matt can't give your gift to God. We can get up here, and we can lead a worship service, and we can do those things, but what Barry's doing up here isn't your gift to God. Your gift to God is from you. Only you can give it. Someone else can't give, but he's given you to give. We're not in your shoes. We're not in your situation. We don't have your talents. We don't have your weaknesses. We don't have your strengths. We don't have any of those things. What God has given for you to give, only you can give. And nobody else can. Man, that puts a lot of pressure on me. I'm not doing it. I'm not doing it. One other basketball analogy, I'll give you one. Garrett walked to the line yesterday there in the last two minutes of the game. There was a lot of pressure on that young man's shoulders. And he pulled it off. Some of us may say, it's just a basketball game. Okay. But God just gave you something to do. Maybe it's just sharing a word. Maybe it's just picking up the phone and making a call. Maybe it's doing something else. God has given you something to give, and it's your responsibility to give it. We can't expect someone else to give what God has provided for me to give. Verse 2, he also saw. Jesus sees what we give, no matter how little. He looked and he saw the rich people giving their stuff. Everybody did. It was loud. But he also saw. A poor widow dropping in two tiny coins. How hard was it for him to hear that offering? How much did she stand out? She should have been a lone, solitary figure trying to fade into the background. Maybe if I can get up here and just put this in, nobody will notice that it wasn't that much. But Jesus saw her. Jesus saw what she came with. Jesus saw what she gave. Jesus saw it. It doesn't matter what offering you can bring. Jesus accepts what you give if it is what he's led you to give. That's why I love the little German boy. It's my favorite song. Because he says exactly, little German boy, what we sang about in the second song, right? I don't have anything else to bring, but I can bring you a song. I don't have anything else to bring, but I can bring you my hallelujah. I can bring you my raised hands. I can bring you my words of praise. God, I may not have anything else to give you, but I can give you that right now. Let me tell you, I sat in a hospital waiting room with a family for 10 hours on Tuesday. And I don't know how many times I heard them talk about God being with them in the valley. Wow! I don't have anything else to bring, but I can bring you my hallelujah. I can bring you my trust. I can bring you my, my, my overall acceptance. Daddy, just take me and walk with me through this because I can't do it on my own. I can bring you what I have to give. And it may not be much, Jesus. And it may not be what everybody else thinks I should give, but I can bring it to you, and I can give it to you. How often do we not do things because we say, well, I can only? Well, I, I can only give 
Five dollars. I can only play three chords. I can only talk to one person. Okay? What's your point? I can only shouldn't stop you from doing what God's called you to do. I can only shouldn't stop you from giving the gift that God has gave you. Jesus sees your I can only. And if you're giving with the sacrificial attitude of the widow, he praises you for it. He looks at her and he says, do you see that lady over there? She's given more than all of them because she didn't give 10%. She didn't give 30%. She gave it all. She gave me everything she had. She was saying, Father, I entrust myself into your hands because there was nothing left. That's what she was saying. And the amazing thing about Jesus is that he can use even our little for great things. Amen. Jesus has a history of taking the small things of the world and doing great works. He fed a crowd with five loaves and two fish. He used 12 men to change the world. You never know what God can do with what you offer. Do you know the name Edward Kimball? Edward Kimball was a Sunday school teacher. Worked in the shoe store. And he led a young man to Christ in the storm of that store. By the name of Dwight L. Moody. And when you begin to trace that line, you find out that, that line includes someone by the name of Billy Graham. And if you trace that line, that name has touched almost everybody in this room. And it was a Sunday school teacher who was willing to share the gospel with a young boy. It's all he had to give, but he gave it all. What's God calling you to give today? What's he asking you to step forward with? giving you something. And it might be money and it might be prayer and it might be a phone call. It might be walking with someone at the time in their life. But God will take it and do great things with it. Maybe this morning Maybe you've been struggling with how, how I can give because I just have nothing left, Jesus. What you consider nothing, 
might be someone else's greatest treasure. Maybe this morning you want to pray. The altar's open. I'll pray with you. Maybe you want to serve the missions or ministry. Maybe you want to join this church membership. Maybe this morning, though, you've never known Jesus as your Savior. Maybe you've never known the one who can change your life in that way, who can bring you true freedom of all the things in this world. And when this life is over, I can guarantee that you will be with him for eternity. Now's the time. You walk the eyes over the trail and know Jesus, and we'll go from there. Wherever you're at, whatever you need, give it to him. Let's pray. Father God, we come to you right now and we thank you and we praise you for your blessings.